Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. You and I have had the opportunity to talk with a lot of parents over the years. Yes, we have. As we talk with them, one of the things I have noticed is that many of them have a crisis of faith. Yes. And it's always so humbling when they entrust us by sharing about those struggles that they've had that they may not have been able to share with anyone else before. I know that when I had my own crisis of faith, I felt very alone and I didn't have any idea who I could talk to about it. So that's one of the reasons that I love today's interview. Today we chat with Diane Doko Kim, author of Unbroken Faith, Spiritual Recovery for the Special Needs Parent. She shares about her journey in special needs and how she had to wrestle with God over struggles she was having with her faith. She goes through some of the most common and top questions that parents of kids with disabilities ask and the answers she found in God's Word for them. Hi, Diane. Welcome to the Hope A New Podcast. Thank you for having me. It is so wonderful to have you here. As we get started, would you introduce us to your family? Of course. My name is Diane Doko Kim, and my husband, Eddie, and I have been married for 20 years this year, and we have two sons. One, his name is Jeremy, and he's 17 this year, and uh, he's our guy with special needs. He has been, uh, he was diagnosed with autism at 18 months, so it's been about 16 years or so walking as a special needs family, and we have a second son named Justin, who's turning 13. We have very similar stories. We were both missionaries. And our lives were surrendered, or so we thought, to however God wanted to use us. Yet when Mm. special needs entered the picture, it threw us both for a loop and made us question, Mm -hmm. struggle, wrestle with God and our faith in Him. So I love your book, Unbroken Faith, Spiritual Recovery for the Special Needs Parent. And in it, you're very honest about your struggles and you take the reader through the questions that you asked and the conclusions you came to. Tell us about your internal journey that you went on. Mm -hmm. I think um, similar to your family, somehow when we came back on missions, we thought that our lives would be on this spiritual trajectory of blessedness and mission, ministry, fruitfulness, and all of that. And it was, it's just not in the way that perhaps we expected in our mind's eye. So uh, back in 2003, my husband and I came back from serving abroad in Central Asia. And we came back and Jeremy was 18 months at the time and he wasn't talking. And so we just thought he might be confused over all the different languages that he'd heard. But after a series of assessments, um, we were quite surprised when the results came back as autism. And actually, over the course of the next 16 years, we would add probably about five or six other diagnoses on top of that. And so it just felt quite shocking. And I wish I had responded in a way that I would expect a missionary to respond but I didn't. And in retrospect, I think we we responded as human beings and God allows for that. But honestly, yeah, at that time when we got the diagnosis, literally just months after we had stepped off from giving these glorious testimonies to the faithfulness of God and how we committed ourselves to full-time ministry, we were quite shocked when this happened, when we got the diagnosis of autism. And quite honestly, I felt quite betrayed and I was absolutely wrecked. I was absolutely gutted and destroyed. And ironically, when our son was diagnosed with a cognitive disability, in reality, I was diagnosed with a spiritual disability, but all the therapists came for him. Meanwhile, mom and dad just kind of had to struggle and and plot along. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. That's totally accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did that internal struggle last for you? I would say 
about five years. So that diagnosis plunged me into pretty much a spiritual depression. And it was difficult because on the one hand, I felt trapped because, you know, here we are with the title of former missionary and full-time ministry and all of that. And also I come from a culture where disability and mental illness and just being different has a significant amount of stigma and shame. And it didn't help that my husband was the worship leader. So every Sunday he'd go up and you know, exhort the congregation to trust God. Meanwhile, his wife is sulking in the back pew, basically. So um, feeling like I really had nowhere to go with these feelings, with my disillusionment and just spiritual struggles, I pretty much threw everything into a password-protected document. And so for about five years, that's where God and I did business. And so it just really struggling with, I think, core questions that I think all of us believers struggle with as parents when our child is diagnosed with a disability. And so for me, those questions I would find out were actually universal questions as I got to know other special needs families. And these are questions like, how could this happen? Why? Why us? We had just stepped off the mission field and all of that. Why is God giving us this? You know, how could he let this happen? Why us? I'm not qualified. I'm the last person to, you know, God, why don't you give this kind of child to a special ed teacher or at least a nurse? You know, I'm, I'm such a flaky person. You, you've got the wrong girl here. So why us? Why me? Why my child? I'm not qualified. And of course, I think there's a part of us that always wonders, where did this come from? Um, is it his genes? Is it my genes? Is this some kind of punishment for some kind of sin or something I did wrong? Whose fault is this? And I think the big question also is, is God going to fix this? Is he going to heal this? Is you know, How are we going to get through this? And what's going to happen? And I think at the core, the real question is, if God has let this happen, is he real and or is he good? And my question for five years that I struggled with through that password protected document is how is the word of God relevant? You know, when the Bible says things like God understands everything we go through, I really had a new problem with that. <laughs> you know, God never had a child with a disability. He's, you know, if he's real after all, if he is real, he just snaps his fingers and, you know, universes appear. He doesn't have to deal with IPs and insurance and school districts and sleeping irregularities and all of that. So how is God relevant to this and how is the word of God relevant? So that took about five years of struggling and miraculously God brought healing, but it wasn't necessarily physical healing to my son's disability, but God brought spiritual healing to me through the word of God. And I can't tell you what an encouragement it is, too, to hear you say that and that it took five years. Yeah. Because mine took at least that long. Mm-hmm. I, I might go more toward a decade. <laughs> but And we're still working out things, right, Sarah? Exactly. So it's encouraging to be with another parent who who has asked those deep, deep questions and those hard questions, not just skating over surface questions or taking surface answers, but going deep to really dive into it and answer those soul questions. Because whether or not we verbalize it or not, we all have them. And we all have those questions. And whether we express it or even admit it to ourselves, um, God knows, you know, he's an omniscient God. He knows what's going on under the hood. Yes. I can't help but put myself in your shoes for for that period of time, five years and your password protected document. I love that. Um, thank God. For it got password. really raw in there, Jonathan. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're right. And it's probably hidden somewhere on your, on some secret uh, folder on your exactly. computer too. But I can't help but one. I mean, that seems lonely to me as you're processing that, as you're in this place, as you're 
hiding these fears, these doubts, these concerns. Mm -hmm. Was there anybody that you shared, shared those struggles with during this time? I would say yes and no. Not really, because again, I just, within myself, I felt such shame that I felt shame about this. Um, I felt shame that I was questioning God. I felt shame about my parenting. Maybe there was something in me that caused this. Maybe I forgot a vitamin or, you know, I ate sushi or something like that. So just, there was a lot of shame. So I had a difficult time sharing it. There were a few close friends, thankfully, that I was able to be honest with, you know, because they were my girlfriends and they were, you know, fellow believers, people that I trusted. But for the most part, I did keep it to myself and just, you know, I took everything to that journal. And that really was my, my Mount Peniel, my resting place with God. So yes, there were a few close friends, but for the most part, yeah, it was a solitary journey. But as we know, nothing's really solitary. God is with us in those dark times. Yeah. What were some of the things that as you were going through this that were helpful as you worked through those doubts and those questions? I think looking back, because it's been about, you know, our son is 17 now and the diagnosis happened at 18 months. And as I look back on my journey and as I've gotten to know lots of other families and parents, I would say the best thing that I did for myself, probably the one thing I got right, was to give myself permission to grieve is to give myself permission to be real about all of those questions that every single one of us have and to let myself to to grieve, to doubt and to have questions and even be angry and even be angry at God and to raise those questions. And I would say what's really helpful is first, yeah, giving myself permission to grieve and be real. And the second thing is to take those questions and wrestle with the word of God. And it was the first time I would say, you know, even though I had been a Christian for so many years, we had been in ministry, you know, we were missionaries and all of that. Ironically, I felt like it was the first time the Word of God truly came alive and so deeply personal and relevant to me in a way that I never expected. At the beginning, I was so upset, like, what does God have to do with this anymore? What does the Bible have to do with this? But as I wrestled with the Word of God, it was amazing to find how relevant it was and to realize that God does understand this situation. And so as I started, you know, just starting from the book of Genesis, um, God is the first parent of the universe and he had tremendous expectations for his own children as well. But we know just by three chapters in, in Genesis, those children didn't turn out the way that he expected and they broke his heart. And by the time we get to the account of Noah, you know, those children had so filled his heart with pain that he regretted having them at all, you know? And so just even from the very first book of the Bible, all the way on through, it was stunning to me how the word of God truly is living and active and God is relevant to the gritty realities and struggles of special needs parenting. So um, the first one is to be permission to be real. The second is to struggle with the word of God. And I would say the third thing to be that was helpful is to struggle with other people. You know, finding other people, other parents who are going through similar situations. Um, obviously, there's a lot of support groups. You know, a little caveat about that. A lot of times I would find some support groups, it's just a lot of parents just kind of bleeding about the difficulties of what's going on in their lives. But I found myself kind of mm, feeling kind of insufficient, like, okay, where's the hope? Where's the hope? So I think for me, after I had desperately gone through so many different groups, you know, support online and, you know, in real time with people, um, it was helpful to find um, support groups and pe- other people who understood what I was going through, other special needs parents, but where ultimately we got our hope in Christ and that there was a hope and that there was an end point to this. And it wasn't just us coming in, coming and dumping 
And so permission to be real, struggling with the word of God and struggling with other people, safe people. Um, I would say that those are the three most helpful things as I work through all my faith crises. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love each and every single one of those. And that's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what is needed and what can help us heal and work through those. And that's what you guys are all about, which is why I find you guys to be such kindred spirits. And I, yeah. you know, the phrase that jumps out to me that you've used repeatedly is wrestling, wrestling with God. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that, that's step two there. And that's, that's one of the pieces that we talk about in our online groups and our online classes is, you know, is it okay to be angry with God? Is it okay to wrestle with him? And it's so hard for us to say, yes, it is. In fact, it's necessary. Yeah, that's that's what it takes. And I love that. But coming to that place where we can accept that and be okay with that is so so hard. When I think about it, and actually we share this in our groups, but the story of Jacob, you know, where he is actually wrestling with God. Right. Like literally, he's out wrestling with him in, the, in this field somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you'd think, okay, God could just put it into it, st- say, stop, we're, we're not doing this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, this is futile. But he actually goes through it and wrestles with them and helps them. They do this all night long until at the end, he ends up blessing Jacob. Yeah. And he, yeah. he ends up, his name comes to mean Israel, which is one who wrestles with God. And just like the, the affirmation that comes from that is like, oh, wow. Not only is it okay to wrestle with God over these things, over these, why God did you allow this? Are you still good? Are these scriptures still real? He wants us to wrestle with him. And yes, it's, it's part of our journey. Yeah. I would say just, you know, as I mentioned, that's like the, probably the biggest favor I did for myself to give myself permission to grieve and to wrestle with God. And um, it's, it's kind of like when you're heart sick, <laughs> I feel like it's like, it's like the first base, like you got to take medicine. Um, sometimes you got to heave. If it's something that can't be worked out internally. And I think, like I said, look, the word of God never became so real to me until I had to go through this. And when I rediscovered the book of Psalms, it was like this huge aha. The book of Psalms is actually one of the biggest books in the Bible. I knew that in my head, but it's all lamenting. It's all people saying the same thing that I am saying. You know, God, are you there? Do you care? Do you not see what's going on down here? You're not going to fix this. Do you even care? And so, Somehow, for the first time, those psalms became mine. And so I found that incredibly validating that God honors our humanness, our fallenness, our feelings, our grief, our struggle. And so if God affirms that we can do that, you know, he has set the precedence right there. And so um, you know, that's God's endorsement. Yeah, this is an important process for you to go through. And so, yeah, the book of Psalms, read that, relate to that. And I wrote my own, basically, <laughs> and for five years. And that really was my Mount Peniel place of just wrestling um, like the psalmist did. Yeah. And that's something I've come to realize as well that I didn't really put together before is I had all these questions that I was asking. Yeah. And some of them, I found answers. But some of them, I didn't find answers, but I found God's heart. Right. And that's everything. Amen. Somehow knowing that God understands goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now, did your husband, Eddie, did he go through a similar struggle? What was it like for him? I think our experience in that initial diagnosis season is probably typical of a lot of families as I've gotten to know in that dads process this differently than moms do. 
I think for one, women and moms are allowed to be emotional and to grieve and to cry and, you know, take out our girlfriend's counsel and to eat hot dogs together as we weep and all that. But culture doesn't really allow that for men. And so uh, my husband had a difficult time processing that. I think it was just a different way of processing. I think it's also that, um, this is just my speculation, that I think men are wired differently. I believe that God has wired men and fathers differently from women and mothers in that men are wired to feel responsible for the outcome of their family. So in a lot of ways, this is a blindsiding for them that this happened on my watch. And from what I could observe from my husband, that was a lot to take and to process that you're responsible for the safety and well-being of your family, of your children. And yet this happened on, on your watch. And so dad's feel a sense of responsibility in a different way than moms and women do. And so I think this hit him in a very tender place. And so he had a, a difficult time, a different time processing this. I remember there was one incident, it was about three or four months, maybe two months after the diagnosis. And we were, you know, involved in early intervention and all of that. We were sitting at one of our first meetings. Um, there was about six people there. And at one point my husband said, okay, so when can Jeremy exit this class and go back to normal classes? And I just remember looking to my right going, oh my gosh, this man hasn't processed that this is a lifelong disability at all. And so that just really kind of stunned me. And so he was quiet for a long time. And I remember feeling frustrated, like, why aren't you crying with me? Why aren't you weeping with me? You know, and it took several more months later after he had done his own work, which looked differently than mine. Um, afterwards, we had those conversations where he said, Diane, I felt like I couldn't break down in front of you because I felt like I had to be strong for the family. This was happening. You were breaking down. It wouldn't help if I broke down too. So he felt like he was doing me a favor by not meeting me in my emotionals, um, in my emotional space. So, um, so he grieved differently. Eventually he found, you know, his safe place, his men folk, his men cave, you know, brothers in the church that came around him. But yeah, it was a different process for him. Absolutely. You know, that's something that they don't really cover in your premarital class is, uh, yeah. how to come alongside your wife when she's in a spiritual crisis and, right. and when you're in the middle of it yourself. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with him wanting to be there, be strong, be brave and be there to support you. And I know I had similar feelings and similar, similar thoughts when mm -hmm. Sarah went through her crisis, when she was in the worst of it there. My release came when I was driving home on the motorcycle and I, and I could just process things with, the, with my motorcycle helmet on and away from everything mm -hmm. and, and the quiet right. there, just, just God and I. Now, when he did become aware of your struggle, how did he respond to your struggle? Thankfully, I can say... And, and proudly say that my husband responded in a textbook way that I needed him to respond. I, I know that this is can often be more the exception than the norm, but after he went through his period of dealing <laughs> and processing all of this, he instantly rolled up his sleeves and said, okay, what do we need to do? And so functionally, I think what happened to us is probably mirrored in a lot of families in our situation in that one family member, usually the mom becomes a primary caregiver. We had a 40-hour therapy week going on, and so we had about 20 therapists cycling through our home. So uh, typically, dad will be the one bringing home the bacon. Now more bacon is needed, so sometimes it'll take an additional shift or whatnot. But yeah, so I was the full-time dealing with all of the therapists and the new lifestyle that we had. And in the evening, you know, as much as he was tired and exhausted, he was like, okay, so what did the therapist say? 
I'll take care of the dishes so you can go organize the paperwork or put together the whatever's that you need to do. So um, emotionally, after he processed in the way that he needed to, uh, he fully engaged. And so I was incredibly grateful for that. So he was a he was a parenting partner. He was also a marriage partner. Like he honored that I needed to cry. <laughs> Sometimes I just needed to cry and fume. Of course, we had those bumpy moments where he would try to fix it. I think that's just a classic, you know, male, female, husband, wife kind of thing. I'm like, I just need you to listen. I don't need to give me answers. I have Googled every night for the last 30 days. There is no answer. <laughs> There's nothing that you can pull out of your head that I have not Googled already. So yeah, thankfully, my husband was marvelous as a partner um, in, in marriage and in parenting. And so yeah, I was very grateful. It's hard to get to that place where you're you realize that, that you don't have to fix or you can't fix. It does take some pressure off to you, uh, off you as well. So that, that's, exactly. that's good. Yeah. Being there, just being there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Your book addresses 29 different questions or doubts. Is there one that you struggled with more than the rest or one that comes up the most often when you talk to other parents? The book is pretty much organized into, there's 29 chapters of frequently asked questions or frequently struggled with issues. I would say they roughly fall into four buckets and the main bucket and the main question that every single special needs parent asks, I would say the first one is, you know, the whole issues of why and how could this happen? The second is what's going to happen to my child after I die, right? This is the universal biggie. This happens on day two, perhaps, right? What's going to happen to this child? Who's going to take care of this child after I'm too old or I'm no longer in this earth? And that's an inevitable thing that we all have to deal with. So my chapter on that, uh, it's actually titled, uh, I Can Never Die. (laughs) I can never die. What's going to happen? And that's really the core issue of that is an issue of surrender and control, right? Like for me as a special needs mom, just you've heard that the, I don't know if it's a trope or it's a stereotype of the mama bear, but you know, special needs moms, like we're mama bears on steroids. <laughs> I actually got a necklace that yeah. says mama bear. Yeah. yeah. If there are helicopter parents, we are stealth bomber parents. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's soccer moms and then there's special needs moms. We're like the green berets of it's so tempting because there's so much to want to hover over even in the afterlife. And so um, that's something that I struggled with and continuing struggle with, and we're going to struggle with this until the day we die. And I think all of us do, but I know that as I struggled with the word of God and and sought answers, like you got to answer this Lord, because this is a biggie. (laughs) This is a biggie for me. This is a biggie for all of us. Um, I'm so grateful that he did give me peace. He he gave me kind of a stick and a stake in the ground and it came through a couple examples. One was, you know, I really struggled with that first, you know, God understands everything common to man. I'm like, well, God doesn't understand this. <laughs> you know, he's perfect. Um, his son was perfect. He snaps his fingers and things happen. He doesn't have the same struggles I do. So how dare God say that he understands this? He may not be in the exact same exact set of circumstances, but he understands enough. And he communicated that to me through two situations. One is when Jesus was on the cross and he had to surrender the care of his mother to someone standing nearby. And it says that he surrendered, I think it was to John, consider my mother your mother. He had to surrender his mother to someone standing nearby. Now, in that culture, presumably Mary may have been a widow at that time. She was a very vulnerable person. And so to him, as his, as her you know, firstborn, he felt incredibly responsible for her. And yet 
he did not say, I can never die. He was able to, first of all, entrust God's purposes for his life and also God's purposes and plan for her life. So in a spiritual, emotional sense, he had to surrender her. And practically, he had to surrender her into the hands of someone standing nearby, presumably with somebody who's done life with them, who he trusts, trusts enough with this very vulnerable, most precious person in his life. And the second example in which God is surrendering is that Jesus actually had to surrender this infant church, this new church, into the hands of unschooled and ordinary men. He started the church and he had to leave it behind into the hands of a pretty bumbling group of guys. (laughs) They were pretty bumbling. And the word calls them unschooled and ordinary men. You know, they were not ABA therapists. They were not special ed teachers. They were not even nurses. They were fishermen and tax collectors and all of that. And specifically, he handed the keys of the kingdom over to Peter. Right. (laughs) Peter of all guys, you know, and these are guys who just ditched him and ran just a, a few moments ago. And so that tremendously comforted me that God understand what it's like to surrender something so precious, so tender, so vulnerable into a very untrustworthy world. But the only way he could do that was to trust in God's sovereignty and God's providence. And also he had done the work on earth to prepare to do that handover. And so those are marching orders for me. Number one, I need to get my understanding and faith, right, that God is sovereign and he has a plan and a purpose, not just for my life, but my son in the areas and in the realm in which I am no longer involved. So that's one. And number two, I do need to do the work in terms of just paperwork, conservatorship, identifying, you know, trust funds and all of that and building relationships and raising him and being a part of a community that I can trust because they were standing and doing life nearby. I love the example you gave of Jesus turning the care of his mom over to John. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stands out to me from that is Jesus had siblings. Mm. Mary had other sons. Oh, Jonathan. Yes. You know, there's something going on there that Jesus didn't say, Hey, little brother, can you come take care of your mom, Mary? Right. How many of the listeners have family, Mm. but, they know the family's not going to be able to take care of their child. Right. And so this just brings the depth of that story to a whole new Mm. level to me. Mm. Uh, So Mm. thank you for sharing that. No, absolutely. And I love that insight. You're right, because families are complicated, aren't they? (laughs) Families are complicated and special needs makes the dynamics even more complicated. And it's true. And so I love that you brought that out, actually, because, yeah, a lot of times that the people that we may lean on and trust on, whether it's an issue of conservatorship or who we leave our children to, just the people that we trust and lean on the most sometimes are not exactly our physical family. What would you say to the parent who finds themselves struggling with the questions about God? You know, these questions that you mentioned, what would you say to that parent? I would say the first thing is to give yourself permission. Give yourself permission to struggle. Give yourself permission to grieve and to doubt. Take your cues from the book of Psalms. If you need to, start up your own password-protected journal if you feel like you have nowhere else to go. Because I always say that feeling heartsick is analogous to being physically sick, right? When you're physically sick, whether it's a stomach ache or whatever, that stuff that's bubbling on inside of you, that needs to go somewhere. It needs to go, it needs to be expelled out in some way. 
And if you can't just get over it, it needs to go somewhere. And so for me, that Passover protected document was a place where I just kind of barfed out all the emotional and spiritual toxicity because I had to process it somehow. So give yourself permission to grieve and to struggle and to doubt. The second thing I would say is to struggle in the right direction. Struggle with God specifically. Heave heavenward. Heave heavenward. We can take it up and it's not healthy to keep it in, nor is it healthy to take it out sideways. Because if we don't deal with the bitterness and the resentment and the questions and doubts in us, it's going to eat us alive. It will become toxic to ourselves. And when that stuff can't be contained, it will leak out as relational toxins and poison the relationships we have with the people nearest and dearest to us because it'll seep out of resentment. And I, I say this from personal experience. And so we really need to take all of this to the only place that's big enough, that is gracious enough, that is compassionate enough, that is magnanimous enough to handle all this. And that is to approach the throne of grace where we can find mercy in our time of need. So find your Mount Peniel, have a Mount Peniel and struggle with God, struggle with the word of God, experience that it really is living and active. And, you know, like I did, and as God did for me, as I read through it, the word of God read through me and somehow became alive in a way that it never had before. And so, um, yeah, the word of God really healed me. If even though God did not heal our son of his disability, God healed me of my spiritual disability. So one, give yourself permission to struggle, struggle with God and the word of God. And the third is struggle with other people to find those safe people, safe places it's interesting. In chapter 18, I actually wrote chapter 18 for the sake of other people who come alongside of us because we're complicated folks. We're complicated families. Am I right? <laughs> and we can be prickly. You know, let's own that, right? We've got a lot going on and we're still working this out. And so chapter 18 is about compassion and the etymology of compassion is suffering with. And I, I know for myself, and for a lot of us, we feel kind of obliged to just kind of man this out by ourselves. And a lot of the times, realistically, it's a very isolating situation. But even Jesus needed other people to sit with him. When he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? He says, can you come and sit with me, right? When his heart was filled with, you know, when he was in his darkest moment, even Jesus being in very nature God needed faulty, fumbly friends to come and sit with him in his darkest time, there was nothing they could have done for him. It's not like they could have said, oh, you know what? You don't really need to do the cross. You know, just, it's okay. (laughs) What could they have really said or done to alleviate the burden that he had? But somehow Jesus validates that too, that it's meaningful to have people that you trust just sitting with you and being with you in your pain. And I kind of love the fact that his friends failed him too, right? They fell asleep on him. And it's like, really guys, you couldn't stay awake for one hour? I just poured out my guts to you. And isn't that, I just told you, I'm, I'm really having a hard time here. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's what I have secretly thought towards friends and family. Like, really guys, we just got this and we're dealing with this and it's a lifelong thing. You can't help us out with this, that or the other. But they, just like humans fail Jesus, they will fail us. Take that, all of that heavenward and just to struggle with other people. Find safe places, find safe people. And if you are a person, a family member or a church member, I call you folks um, first responders, first responders. Um, When you come to sit with us, just know that you just need to listen. Listen is the same letters as the word silent. 
You don't have to try to say anything. There's nothing you could do outside of you coming and saying, hey, I've got the cure. (laughs) I Googled and I found the cure for you. There's nothing you can really say or do. So just number one, just sit with us, listen, bring the emotional barf bag and let us fill it. We will fill it. And when we're done spewing into that barf bag, just fold it up and dispose it with no judgment and pray for us. And yeah, there's a lot of other practical things that these first responders can do uh, as they do life with us. But yeah, for, for struggling with God, give yourself permission and struggle in the right direction and struggle with the right people. Yeah, those are very, very wise words of advice. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, we say that there is beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. How have you seen that to be true in your story? Wow. My tagline, so to speak, if you will, after all of this uh, is that I've been wrecked, redeemed, and repurposed. Obviously, this diagnosis wrecked me. It wrecked me in my faith. It wrecked me relationally, emotionally, uh, just in every possible way. And in many ways, I thought it would break my faith and drive me away from God. But the very set of circumstances that I thought, okay, that's it. Bible, we're done. <laughs> God, we're done, was the very set of circumstances that God used to bring me closer into an understanding of Him, His heart, and the relevancy, the timeless relevancy of God's Word. And so that which wrecked us, God redeemed and repurposed it. And so there has been no sharper tool in heaven's drawer to break me out of what I I think Tony Campolo calls country club Christianity. <laughs> There has been no greater thing, no sharper tool that God has used towards my own discipleship. Yeah, understanding God's heart and the word of God and chiseling me towards Christ-likeness than this, than this journey that we have as a special needs family. So I would say this is clearly the best and worst thing that has ever happened to us. It's the worst thing in the world's economy because everybody wants the perfect child that goes to Stanford, and but it's the best thing. God even dares call things a blessing that we would not in our in our worldly economy. It's a blessing if it's something that wrecks us, but that God can redeem and repurpose into a blessing for us and for others. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture. Even though it's hard, yeah, and hard isn't like there's not an English word that encompasses what it is. You know, the angst and everything that you go through. Yeah, and yet. He does make beauty out of it, doesn't he? Right. The big aha for me as a Christian was, I don't know why I thought that being a Christian meant everything would be okay, (laughs) that everything would be comfortable. And it was a big aha for me because I'm thinking, okay, Christianity as a follower of Christ, it's about following Christ's example. And he did not live a comfortable life. Now, did he? (laughs) Not so much. Isn't it amazing that we're shocked by that? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is a major aha. You know, he suffered, he died, he cried out, you know, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he ultimately submitted to the sovereignty of God. And we are beneficiaries. We are, you know, eternal beneficiaries because of that. And so, yeah, it was a big aha for me. Like, why did I think that being a Christian or being a missionary meant everything would be cool and easy peasy? No, God defines blessing differently. And I choose to subscribe to God's definition going forward. Yeah, that helps restore that hope and keeps our focus where it needs to be. Amen. Gives us that perspective. So that's so good. Now, this conversation has been so rich and I've, I've loved it. And I know our, our listeners will love it too. 
How can our listeners stay connected with you? How can they follow you? My website is dianedokokim.com. So that's D-I-A-N-E-D-O-K-K-O-K-I-M.com. And I love connecting with folks on uh, social media, especially on Facebook. So Diane Doko Kim uh, on Facebook as well. Excellent. Well, I will put a link to each of those on our show notes, as well as to your book. And thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do to support families like ours. So you are kindred spirits and God bless you as you guys bless others. And I know we have the same testimony of who God is and how he's working in our lives and our families. 